Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to be back here with you. Uh, this week, uh, we're recording Thanksgiving week a little earlier than usual in the week so that we can uh, participate in the holiday later on. Uh, and I'm excited to do that and uh, have a special return guest for you tonight, which we'll find out more about in just a second. But of course, we have to bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley. Uh, Sam, uh, you're house-sitting this week, I understand. I am. I'm in Fort Collins this week in a house that would rival a four-star hotel <laughs> and watching a dog. There's even a jacuzzi out there. I might take take myself in that later on. So it doesn't suck. That's pretty nice. But that's why I'm on my laptop, so I may not sound how I usually sound. And, it, you know, it's been... Uh, Really nice weather out here. Of course, we don't know what the rest of the weather is because all of our meteorologists decided it was like a holiday week or something. So um, it's just us, you and me and Jason. And that's who we have, Jason from Trek Medics. We check in with him from time to time, and it's been too long. And, and he's always traveling and doing and, and meeting new people and coming up with new projects. And Jason, why don't you just start? For those that haven't heard you before, talk about yourself and how Trek Medics got started and what you've been doing. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, Jamie. It's always a pleasure to be back and uh, check in and see how things are going and share a little bit of an update on our end. Uh, so, yeah, for your listeners who, who aren't familiar who Trek Medics is, we are a four-impact nonprofit organization that improves access to emergency care and transport in low-income, austere settings through mobile phone technology. Uh, we build a dispatching platform called Beacon, which is, I love talking to you guys because people who listen to you know what I'm talking about. It's a CAD in your pocket, right? It's a cloud-based, computer-aided dispatch platform designed specifically for response organizations that don't need or can't afford the traditional legacy CADs that are in the local call center, dispatch center. So uh, Beacon alerts, coordinates, and tracks responders using whatever mobile phone they've got in their pocket uh, with or without internet. So if you don't have internet, it works through SMS. Uh, but if you do, then you can get the mobile app, the web application, all the maps and, you know, all the fun features that come along with a good internet connection. Uh, so we started, uh, well, I'll tell you what, here's a great time to be checking in with us because things are coming full circle uh, for Trek Medics. We started basically back in 2009, 2010, um, kind of as a, a weekend hobby, just helping ambulance services in developing countries. Uh, whether it was through donations or, or training or um, uh, materials and supplies, stuff like that. Uh, but we got kind of a new direction after the Haiti earthquake of 2010 when, you know, it was like you go to a place where it, it really looks like, you know, it's, it's, it looks like it's been a war zone. And um, they don't have a formal ambulance service, even in the good times. Um, and so, but there are lots of people who need rapid emergency care and transport, and everybody's carrying on cell phones. So they're using private vehicles, you know, pickup trucks or, or motorcycles, you know, whatever it may be, 
to get people to the hospital. And it's all ad hoc and kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Um, and nobody's trained, but they've all got, you know, cell phones and there's a way to communicate. So that was kind of uh, the Haiti earthquake in 2010 was kind of uh, the culmination experience of all this stuff that we've been doing, working in developing countries. And we made the, uh, took the step of saying, Oh, all we're going to need is a uh, simple little software program that they can send alerts to each other by text message and let people know where to go when they need to be there. It's going to be simple. <laughs> and that's where it started. And now, goodness, you know, 10 or so years later, um, it is a sophisticated uh, CAD system. It still serves exactly populations like that, but it's also being used by uh, more established and formal ambulance services and search and rescue teams and whatnot. But the reason I say it's coming full circle is because, uh, as it turns out, a couple months ago, we uh, launched a program with an uh we have a partner organization in Haiti called MotoMeds, and they're a nighttime health hotline for pediatrics, right? And the premise is this. Uh, children usually get sick at night and, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff, but if left untreated by the morning, it's going to become an acute emergency. The problem in countries such as Haiti is that the hospitals and clinics that are available um, are well, the, the health centers, I should say, and the clinics that are available for, for run-of-the-mill pediatric calls are closed after 5 p.m. Uh, so, you know, that's when children need to be getting some kind of care, and there's no way to do it. Um, and oftentimes, the only hospital that's open 24-7 is a long ways away. So this group of uh, folks from University of Florida started the MotoMeds program. And what it is is a pediatric health hotline for uh, nighttime health hotline. And what happens is if people have sick children, 10 or under, they call this phone number. Uh, they talk to a Haitian nurse and who runs them basically through, you know, like a pediatric version of medical priority dispatch system. And it's these, uh, you know, evidence-based uh, triage guidelines for pediatrics. Uh, that were put together by the guy who started this. His name is Dr. El Eric Nelson. And, you know, he designed these whole things, uh, these, all these guidelines for intake. And then after the nurses get through the interrogation, they ask, you know, they, they have four choices, basically. If the child is acutely sick, they say, you got to go to the hospital right now, right? We're not an emergency service. You got to go to the hospital right now. If the child is very mild, on the other side, they will say, you know, wait it out in the morning, go to a clinic. Um, if it's somewhere in the middle, then uh, they will make one of two decisions. Either they will send a local motor ta a motorcycle taxi driver with medications to the uh, family's home. And this is like in the mountains of Haiti, right? This is, there are no roads, right? And they are oftentimes riding motorcycles around these mountains and these canyons looking for, uh, you know, very impoverished homes. Uh, so they will send a motorcycle taxi driver with medications, or they'll oftentimes send a nurse with the medications on the back of the motorcycle taxi to do, uh, you know, basically a house call with a nurse. 
And so this program has been running in Haiti for the past two years. And then after the earthquake that happened in Haiti in August, uh, we had a, a meeting of the minds amongst us, uh, between us and Motomeds, and we said, you know, they're going to, the reports were coming in that up to 50, 70% of healthcare facilities in the area were damaged or destroyed, and that there were tens of thousands of people who were now homeless, which means they're going to end up in what they call IDP camp, internally displaced person camps, or, you know, refugee camps, but they're, they're not they're local refugees, right? So they call them IDPs. Um, and so there are going to be a bunch of people in IDP camps. So that means children are going to be getting sick in these very terrible conditions. And there aren't as many healthcare facilities for them to get to. So maybe we could help lessen the burden of disease, you know, demand on the health facilities that are have survived. And we can launch this program to serve uh, the city of Lake Kai which is the big city in the southwest of Haiti that uh, was most affected by the earthquake. And so they sent a team down to check it out and see, is this something that they could do? You know, can they recruit the motorcycle taxi drivers? Can they recruit the nurses? Um, and in the end, they came back and they said, yep, let's do it. So we launched this same program in the middle of a disaster zone, um, that uh, is now doing, I mean, within a week, they were doing four to five times the volume that the established program had been doing over the past two years. And uh, that was really exciting for us, really, really validating. Um, and personally for me and uh, Dr. Eric Nelson and uh, Molly Klarman is, is the young woman who runs the show on the ground. Um, and she's been living there, uh, married to a Haitian and, you know, has children and uh, very much integrated in the community, has been there. Interestingly, I met her down there like 10 years ago when I lived in Haiti. And so our paths kind of crossed again in this program. So that's really been awesome to see. But at the same time, a couple days after it launched, uh, if you've been following the news, it's been a very difficult year for Haiti. Uh First was the, well, not first. It's been a year of, of just civil unrest and turmoil. And then there was that assassination of the president. And then shortly after that was the earthquake. And then a few days after we launched, 17 missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti. And that was a real bucket of cold water on our program for a moment because it was like, wait a second, our plan here was to promote this to try and find other NGOs and local healthcare providers in the area to try and build this out, right? Because we basically have a call center running for uh, for pre-hospital care um, in in Haiti in this earthquake zone, and we were really eager to try and recruit other partners and collaborators on this call center to expand the scope or expand the geographic area. And then all of a sudden, seventeen missionaries are kidnapped, and it's like this is not really the time to be promoting this service, right? Uh, both yeah. the local Haitians as well as other NGOs are going to be very reluctant to get involved in this. So we decided to let's just be happy and satisfied with what we've set up. And hopefully this, this situation resolves and they can get back to the business of rebuilding. Uh, but in the meantime, let's, let's let the system ride. And it's, uh, here, here's the really 
really encouraging thing was uh, Dr. Nelson was talking to him and he said, look, after this kidnapping, of course, there's concerns about the safety of the workforce. And um, if they needed to pull, for example, you know, if they needed to pull somebody out of there, uh, it would be very much able to continue because it's all Haitian nurses, Haitian motorcycle drivers running the show. And it, it can go on without anything, uh, with, you know, self-managed. So that's where we're at. That's the latest. <laughs> well, you remind me, I mean, this earthquake came when they were probably still recovering from the, the bigger one that occurred, you know, years ago. And I, I was thinking of this as you were talking about their healthcare system or lack thereof, that a lot of people on our DMAT would go regularly three times a year as part of a Catholic NGO and do medical care, set up a clinic and do medical care. And people would come down from those mountains with no roads uh, 100 miles just to get that care because it was all that was available to them. And then, of course, when they, that earthquake hit, it was a huge surprise when, uh, you know, they hit all the DMATs and, and USARs and other agencies and said, uh, do you have an up-to-date passport? It's like, what? You know, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't know we were now an international resource. But, I mean, it was all hands on deck in Haiti yeah, because it was such absolutely. a mess. And they had a lot of the same turmoil and, you know, everything that comes after a disaster. So, yeah, it's, I'm glad to hear something positive is happening there. Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think Go ahead. I know I was going to say, I think um, from my angle of things, I think one of the things that I that always comes to mind when we talk with you, Jason, is that, you know, so, so often in first world countries, we we are keen on donating first world first world resources. And one of the things that I think is unique to your system and, and the services you provide is they are resources built upon available means rather than bringing in something that cannot be maintained, that cannot be replaced um, and trying to set up a system around that. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think makes Trek Medics and Beacon and, and everything you've put together so um, unique in, in many ways. And I'm curious um, what your thoughts are on has that is that still a problem? Is that still something that goes on or have have places started to realize that they need to bring services in in a way that is sustainable? Yeah, I think there. To answer your question, is it still a problem? Yes. Is there more awareness around this problem? Yes. So uh, it's I'll be the first to say. There, there's no, you know, you, you want to be a paramedic, you go to the academy and then you get on the ambulance and you have your preceptor and you have an internship. Or if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school and then you start doing, you know, your clinical rotations and you have people watching over you, right? Um, in development, as it were, uh, that that kind of structured format does not exist. So a lot of people, most people are 
getting involved in this. They want to help. They see a need. They know what they can do. And they, you know, see some opportunities. And so they go for it. And the intention is there and the spirit is there. But the the awareness of what else is going on, your impact, right, is not there. Uh, and unfortunately, so much of it you learn through trial and error. Um, and, you know, everybody who is involved in this can tell you stories about when they realized, oh, that's not how things work around here, right? Um, and hopefully, if there is a structured environment for that, then that's great to take opportunity in doing that, but, uh, or to take advantage of that, but it's not, uh, it's not so accessible. It's not, it's not the system, right? That's not how the system is set up. So, uh, it's really interesting to say, you know, about our approach to this has, we've just gone more extreme in that matter because something else that we're about to announce, uh, in, you know, to, to all of our supporters and in, on social media and in our newsletter is that a new, a new collaboration that we've started exactly for this point. And the name of the collaboration is called Cheer Me, and it stands for the Collaboration to Help East Africans Respond to Medical Emergencies. Ooh. And the premise is that uh, in East Africa, specifically in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Somalia, uh, Uganda, they there is actually a wealth of people who are trained in emergency response, right? First aid, BLS, um, but then also lots of uh, nurses and doctors who have training um, and, and they have the skill sets, but they're, they're operating in volunteer organizations, you know, community-based organizations that are by and large neglected by the government or the really big international NGOs that are around. Um, that's not true for all of them, but for some of them, it certainly is. And these kind of community-based organizations have the motivation, they have the know-how, they have the skills, and they're locals. So they have incentive, right? They've got skin in the game, but they don't have a way to, uh, to kind of get past the fledgling volunteer organization, right? Um, and so that's what, exactly what we're trying to do is say, let's prop these, these organizations up however we can, support them. Uh, and the way we're doing that is through this collaboration. And the point of the collaboration is, is really to uh, give them a voice to be, have a real seat at the table in terms of the development of emergency services in their countries. And the way, I'll, I'll be completely honest, the way we're looking at this is, is basically at the Joint Commission, right? You know the Joint Commission. Yeah. Joint Commission started, uh, for your listeners who aren't familiar, the, the Joint Commission started back in, I don't know, 60s or 70s, whatever it was. In, and I think it was in Minnesota. Mayo Clinic was one of the first. And it was a bunch of hospitals in the area that got together and said, there are no hospital standards for, there are no standards for quality in hospitals, right? They're, everybody's doing it their own way. They're coming up with their own rules. If they're even measuring quality, everybody's doing it their own way. So what we're going to do is we're going to get together and we're going to agree on standards for care in hospitals. And then uh, we're going to meet those standards, right? So they all got together and they figured this out. And then they said, all right, we're going to meet those standards. Then they all met those standards. And 
they now kind of had a, a, a whole unique um, lobby, if you will, right? They, they were kind of the standard bearers. And long story short, today, joint commission is the gold standard for whether or not you're going to get reimbursed by Medicare and Medicaid, right? If you don't meet joint commission what? standards, your hospital doesn't get reimbursed by the government. So they, they built these standards themselves, and then they turned around and said, everybody else, you should meet these standards too because they're evidence-based, and, and we can prove that this is quality, this is performance. And so that's really what we're trying to do with Cheer Me. I mean, it's a bit of a uh, you know, pipe dream maybe, but you got to start somewhere. And these, these organizations in Tanzania, in Kenya, in Uganda, in Somalia, they're motivated. Like they, they love this stuff. They are so a part of their communities and they are there to provide services, but they're limited in what they're able to do. And I think personally, I think a lot of that has to do because they're, they're divided, right? They're all operating on their own. But if there's a way that you can bring them together and, you know, get some more, uh, a bigger seat at the table, then Hopefully uh, that will result in, in improvements in access to, to care. And also, uh, really, what we're hopeful to see is that they, we can all put together uh, standards that they're, they're driving this, right? Like, this is written for East Africa. This is not written for the United States. These are standards of care based on what we've learned in the United States, surely, but adapted to meet local realities and to meet, you know, the, the emergencies they're responding to are different than the emergencies we're responding to. At least the frequency and the type and the severity and all of the challenges with pre-hospital care aside from medical care, right? Um, the logistics of it all is different. So they need to build standards that reflect their realities. And uh, that's what we're hoping to support them with. Do they have any kind of paramedic EMT level to the extent that they can, training in Haiti. I, I just have a, some, a niggling thought in the back of my head that somebody I knew was in, engaged in a, in a program like that, but I, I can't remember if it was Haiti or not. So, well, Haiti, you know, that's a whole another story. There are definitely NGOs down there doing training. Uh, one of our partners out of uh, Seattle, Impact Northwest, they, they that's how we met, was they were doing training in Haiti back after the earthquake. But in East Africa, these organizations, it's actually very fascinating, the history here, because uh, Kenya has a very high number of uh, US-trained EMTs and paramedics. And what happened, the impetus behind this was that um, there was the 1998 or 99, I can't remember, uh, embassy bombings in Kenya and in Tanzania, U.S. embassy bombings. And uh, one of the outcomes of that was that the United States State Department, I think it was, put a lot of money into Kenya to train EMTs and paramedics. And in fact, they flew a ton of them to Colorado was one place. I think there were other places, but they flew like a whole class full to Colorado to do EMT paramedic training. And, and here's the crazy thing about this. So I think it was 98 when this happened, but they, they, they go through this process where they did the EMT basic training and then 
They did, uh, many of them went on to do paramedic training. And then what happened was shortly after that in, was 9-11, right? So interestingly, many of these paramedics, par Kenyan, U.S. trained Kenyan paramedics got jobs working for a lot of the contractors that went over to the United States in support of the armed forces in Afghanistan and Iraq. So they were working as medics for the contractors in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, uh, they just got an extraordinary amount of experience, to say the least. Right. So but the problem is they go back to Kenya and there isn't the infrastructure, the EMS infrastructure in place to give them, uh, you know, gainful employment careers, right? And so what actually happened was many of them would then go out and work uh, in all over, a lot of them worked all over Africa, trying to build up response systems in different parts in Africa. Like many of them ended up in uh, West Africa during Ebola. One guy in particular, I know, uh, you know, if you heard his story, it's it just like a reel of major world events where he's there as an EMT paramedic. Um, and they started working for a lot of the non-governmental organizations. Uh, many of them went to South Africa. Uh, Zimbabwe is another story that's interesting about the same thing, that they had a really... Uh, a great blossoming EMS system that, well, now we can talk about him because he died, but that Mugabe kind of picked apart, you know, or let fail. And they went to Australia and they went to New Zealand and they went to the UK to get jobs very well trained. And it was the infrastructure at home that wasn't able to support them. So, so there is a legacy of emergency management in some of these countries that many of them do not have. Right. And that's a big problem that we always see is that, you know, I think I've said this to you on this on this podcast before, but it's like in the United States, there are so many people who grow up saying, you know, who grew up visiting dad at the firehouse on the weekend or mom was a paramedic, you know, and they, they just know emergency management. Right. You can go into basically any city hall in the United States and say, who's in charge of emergency management? And there's going to be somebody who's in charge and knows a lot about the job. But you go to other countries in, you know, low and middle income countries. Africa is, is a good example where there are a lot of countries where there there isn't that legacy. Uh, so you're. You know, there's not this institutional knowledge or, or just basic understanding of what an emergency response system looks like. So that that's why. We think East Africa is, is a very um, promising place to start something like this because they do have a lot of very dedicated, motivated, knowledgeable people who who lack the, the infrastructure. Yeah, and I was thinking, too, you know, they go to all these first world countries to do their training and then get back there and find there's not only any infrastructure to support them, but they probably don't have any of the equipment or most of it that they've trained on. That's got to be frustrating. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, it frustrates me uh, to see, <laughs> like, uh, here's an example, right? In 
in the United States, chapter one of the EMT basic and EMT paramedic textbook is scene safety BSI, right? Um, and so much of it is based on, uh, okay, here's a great example. You have somebody who is in a MVC and is entrapped. What do we do? We call heavy rescue, right? That's what you do. Get on the radio and get heavy rescue over here. Well, that there is no heavy rescue, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, there are a bunch of people with machetes, and they're not going to leave that person in the car. So they're going to use machetes to try and get the person out. They're going to use rebar, or they're going to use crowbars, or they're going to use scrap to scrap metal to try and get that person out of the car. And that's exactly what they should be doing, right? So <laughs> the question is, how do you build, you know, how do you formalize that? Like, how do you actually use that? Because there's not going to be a heavy rescue truck coming anytime soon. You know, like, I don't disagree that there needs to be massive investment in, in the big ticket items, right? But it's not happening anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, so what are you going to do in the meantime? Well, let's, let's, Let's try and bring some order to this, right? Let's let's teach skills that are going to save lives, and that can be done with available resources. Well, and I guess it's a matter too of, of you know, taking the basic concept and and making it work for that area and and all the, its unique challenges and the equipment you have to work with, and you order more machetes, I guess. <laughs> there is, uh, you know, in, in a sense. That's that's a big part of it is finding out what's needed, what can be afforded, and uh, what are the priorities. Exactly. This is great stuff, Jason. I'm going to throw it back to Jamie because we've got to wind down here. Yeah, Jason, it's great um, to to have you on. And and um, you know, before we wrap up, um, just you know, let folks know how they can support you, what are some of the ways they can um, find out what's going on and and how um, best to uh, get, get you what you need. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, and I appreciate the, the chance to share. Um, I think the number one thing that we're always looking for is new users for our software. Uh we do a lot of work more and more now in the United States. Beacon has come a long way, and especially in the past two years, you know, specifically after the murder of George Floyd, there is a widened interest in community response groups, and we've gotten involved with a lot of them. They're using our platform for mental health crisis counselor response, for domestic violence, advocacy and support, and opioid overdoses. These are very much lay responders, but oftentimes working in tandem with, you know, with EMS, fire, PD. Um, so if there are folks out there, even if you're just, a, you know, an ambulance service and that's all you do, uh, we need users. We're always looking for more users. Uh, but the other thing is we are a nonprofit organization, very much dependent upon the generosity of others. Uh, you know, what Disaster Podcast has done for us over the years has been invaluable. And uh, if there are folks who can help spread the word or who can donate and support us, we're very grateful. Um, word of mouth means so much, and any donation at all is always helpful. Uh, and if folks want to check us out, they can go to our website at www.trekmedics.org. 
That's T-R-E-K, medics. Uh, it's two words, but spelled as one. So trekmedics.org and check out the Beacon platform or go to our donate page and uh, send us some support. We'd be very, very appreciative. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I, I really encourage people to to really look into that, visit the website, see the amazing things that Jason and the rest of the team there are doing, and uh, consider consider supporting them in some way, even just spreading the word, um, being, being aware that they exist, and finding out that you can share in that one conversation that'll pop up, you know, a week down the road or whatever, um, is a great way to continue providing support, even if you can't provide monetary support. Um, so Jason, thanks for coming on the show and, um, we appreciate you as always. Um, I always look forward to getting your, your email newsletters when they pop up and I read them, um, just to see what you're doing. And that was the impetus for saying, Hey, we need to get Jason on and talk about some of this stuff. Excellent. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Sam. It's always a pleasure. It's, it's really so appreciated and uh, love to hear what you're doing. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I do want to thank our uh, sponsors. Jo- Dr. Joe wasn't able to make it on tonight, but uh, uh, obviously uh, we couldn't make this happen without Paragon Medical Group. And uh, if you're looking for some uh, great resources for some top flight customizable training for your organization, your jurisdiction, um, your ambulance service, whatever the case may be, uh, they can provide you something that is just unique and completely customized to what you need. So reach out to them. You can find out more at uh, paragonmedicalgroup.com. You can also find them at Paragon Medical Group on Facebook, Paragon Med EDU on Twitter, and of course, there are links on the disasterpodcast.com site, and you can always catch up with Dr. Joe in our Facebook group. So uh, all those ways are great ways to catch up with them, and we thank them for their continued support. Uh, Sam, where can folks find you? Well, on all the social medias, on disasterpodcast.com, and certainly in our Disaster Podcast Facebook community. There's wonderful people over there. And where do we find you, Jamie? Well, you can find me under the handle Podmedic in a lot of places out there. So please uh, look me up, friend, or follow me there. And, uh, of course, over at a disasterpodcast.com website where you can subscribe to the show. There are links there for uh, iOS or Android phone devices and your favorite uh podcast apps um, all available using the links right there below the player on every page so um, please go ahead and and follow us and make sure you subscribe that's it for me Um, Sam uh, always great to have Jason on the show and I hope that um, we'll be able to get him back again soon the updates that he brings really give us perspective of a different type of aspect of response and disaster management that we don't often talk about on the show. That's right. And we certainly should. And I'm sure that Jason way back when, when he was one medic coming up with a good idea, um, you know, so much has happened since then and so many good things. So even though we may not be that guy, we can certainly support that guy and his people in what they're doing and what they'll continue to do. So please go to their website and give them some love.